as we always do, we're gonna pull our text from our upcoming Wednesday night study. So turn with me to chapter 11 of Luke. Luke chapter 11 for today's study. That last old hymn we sang today, uh, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. Um, you know, the main idea of that song is about prayer. Oh, what needless pain, you know, we bear uh, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Prayer is such an important, essential part of the Christian faith and the Christian walk. And yet I find it to be one of the hardest things for us to do. Um, and the importance of prayer, when we see what's going on in the world, rather than being frustrated or talking or rioting or picketing or yelling or anything like that, we should be as Christians, first and foremost, bringing everything uh, to God in prayer. Um, how our nation, the United States of America, needs to turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, what an important thing that is. Um, someone wrote this, uh, I'd like to read. Tell me if you agree with what this person is saying or not. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power and confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Do you agree with that statement? Man, I sure do. Um, does anybody know who wrote that? Yes, 160 years ago, Abraham Lincoln um, spoke those words to this nation. Um, if it was true back then, do you think it's more true now? Man, how much more uh, humilia uh, humiliation. You see, he spoke this when he was making Proclamation 97, appointing a day of national humiliation, fasting and prayer. That's what they called it back in those days, national humiliation, prayer and fasting. Um, can you imagine a politician doing that today and what would happen to them? We need to, in fact, let me read on. I don't mean to you know, go too deep into this, but he, he went on in his proclamation and said, whereas although the United States is now at a time of peace, um, the civil, civil war, by the way, was looming. Um, he said, civil unrest divides the nation and its people. Now, therefore, be it resolved that, number one, the House of Representatives reaffirms the proclamation signed by President Abraham Lincoln on March 30th, 1863, in which President Lincoln called for a national uh, humiliation, fasting, and prayer day. Um, two, it is the sense of the House of Representatives that the normal business of Congress should be set aside on that day for repentance and reconciliation for the United States so that members of the Congress may join all Americans in their solemn assembly to do these things, to humble themselves with prayer and fasting, to repent and individual uh, and corporate sins, to seek God's healing and reconciliation and favor for the nation and for its future. The House of Representatives encourages people of faith throughout the nation to join in solemn assembly for such a day. <laughs> Can you imagine Congress repenting of their sins? Wow. This was 160 years ago. Now, maybe you were taught, if you were public school, uh, you were taught that there were no godly men in our heritage and our national history, and uh, you were lied to horribly. Um, Abraham Lincoln was a guy, there's a reason this guy, and what really was the key to bringing an end to slavery, uh, the ugliest thing in America's history, uh, but also the ending of a civil war, um, which was horrifying. Um, those were dark days in those times, but what did our president at that time, some people deem him the best president that ever lived. Uh, you know, so, some would agree with that. Um, but what was his solution? Humble, humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and pray with a repentant heart and humble before God. That was his answer. Um, and it was the right answer. And that's why our nation continues to this day because we have times in our history where we saw fit to pray. No, Pastor Brett, we need more action in politics. 
We need to march, we need to, to protest, we need to yell and scream at each other. No, you know, now prayer's too simple. Well, it worked back then in a really dark time of our history. And I believe prayer is the answer still today. In fact, the Bible gives us so much about prayer, it's not even funny. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about prayer. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about going verse by verse through the Bible is um, it forces us to talk about the topics that come up as we go verse by verse. Um, I don't pick our topics. You might say, well, Brett, your, your topic is prayer today, but I didn't pick it. We just happen to be in Luke chapter 11 and the topic of the day is prayer. You see, there's some good churches that don't teach verse by verse. I wish more churches would go verse by verse. Um, but there, you know, topical teaching can be really good. Here's one of the problems though that I would suggest with topical teaching is pastors can pick their favorite subjects and talk about them over and over again, and they do. And things that they think are important on their agenda, you know, f focus on the family, 10 week study on family, you know, being happy with your family or, you know, balancing your checkbook or, or uh, you know, if the church is hurting financially, 10 weeks on tithing, you know, and talk about tithing, 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 tithing. Um, and, 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 and suddenly you just kind of get in this echo chamber talking about things that pastors think are important. But, but I think kind of what's important is what does God think it should be prioritized? Well, we have it prioritized right here in our Bibles. So as we go verse by verse, one of the topics that just keeps coming up is the idea of praying, being a praying people. Brett, didn't you just do a sermon on prayer just a few months ago? Sure did. <laughs> um, but you're gonna do another one? Sure am. <laughs> and I'll probably do another one not that long from now, because guess what? It comes up in the Bible all the time, the, the, the importance of prayer. Um, and that we're supposed to cast our cares, give all of our cares over to the Lord. I'm reminded, you know, Jesus told us a couple months ago when we were in Matthew 7, um, it said, you know, ask, Jesus said, and it'll be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now, this verse in Matthew, we're gonna see even more context to this verse today when we look at Luke's account because the topic that Jesus brings up or is going to talk on here in Luke chapter 11 is this very topic. What does it mean to ask, knock, seek? And, and what's the context of that? So let's see what Jesus has to say today to you and me about prayer. It's Luke chapter 11, starting in verse one. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. We start this chapter off verse one where Jesus is found praying. This is an unusual, Jesus is seen praying over and over again. This always makes me marvel because if there was ever a guy who walked this earth that didn't really technically need to pray if you ask me, um, it's Jesus. Jesus could have just, you know, I mean, we know who Jesus is. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Um, God becomes a man, steps out of eternity and uh, time and space laws and rules of physics. He subjects himself, becomes a man and lives among us humbly. Um, but one of the things he always does, he's always seen praying. Um, when you see church behaviors, what do we always see ourselves doing? Well, we always see ourselves Singing songs of worship and praise. That's great. I love singing songs of worship. Obviously, I'm part of the team here today and I like singing songs of praise. How many times do you see Jesus leading worship in the Bible? Anybody? One time. One time. Remember at the, on the uh, up, upper room as he's sitting around the table, it says he, he led them in a hymn, one song. It wasn't a worship set. He didn't have to call up the worship pastor and the worship team and say, hey, we gotta do some worship. Let's get the mics and the speakers and let's get it going, man. Make sure I have the smoke and the lights and we'll get it. You know, like it's funny how what worship has become in the church. It's a major thing. Some people choose about what church they go to based on the worship, which I would say is a bad idea. Um, you should base the church you attend on doctrine, making sure they're solid biblically, that Jesus is the center of the church. Not, not um, worship is a very minor thing. It's only mentioned a few times in the New Testament the song singing part of worship. See, worship isn't just singing songs. It's, it's serving, giving, loving, you know, prayer can be worship. Um, but it's funny how we, we give all the press to the music in the church. I think that's a mistake. If there's one thing that Jesus has seen doing over and over and over again, he's, he's of course preaching, teaching. 
But I would say really right in there is praying. Jesus is seen praying. And this is where we bring point number one to today's lesson. And that is the priority of prayer. It's established. Jesus is seen praying once again in our chapter, praying once again. In fact, the priority, Jesus is seeing praying so much. I could show you, if I were to show you all the scriptures where Jesus was seen praying, we'd be here all day. Let me just remind you the few that we've seen thus far in Luke's gospel alone up to this point. Just up to this point, because I don't want to be here all day talking about all that. But let's just show you. Luke chapter 3, it says, we, we read this a few weeks ago. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized, and praying. That's something we forget. What was Jesus doing at his baptism? Praying. And as he was praying, then the heavens, the heaven was opened. When was the heaven opened? When Jesus started praying. I wonder if the heavens would be opened if we would take prayer more seriously. Luke chapter five, verse 16, Jesus said, uh, it says there in Luke 5, 16, he, Jesus, withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, saw fit to say, I need to get away from the crowd, from the busyness of life and, and find some solitude and pray. And that's what he did. He did that. We see him doing that all the time. Luke chapter five, verse 16 um, says that. And then also Luke chapter six, verse 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. When was the last time you spent all night in prayer to God? Oh, Brad, I'm pretty dialed in. Are you more dialed in than Jesus? Jesus, but, but Brad, I need my beauty sleep. Isn't it funny that Jesus saw that that particular night, it was more important for him to be in prayer all night than to get a good night of sleep. That's the priority that Jesus set on prayer. Luke chapter six, verse 12. Luke chapter nine, verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, there he is again praying, his disciples were with him. Luke 9, 29. And he, uh, as he prayed, he, uh, the fashion of his countenance was altered excuse me, and his raiment was white as glistening. When was Jesus transfigured before them? Metamorpho, the Greek word metamorphosis. When did that happen? When he was praying, he was transfigured before them. Over and over and over again, like you see the wall of, of, this is just the beginning of Luke, how many times we see Jesus praying. I want you to see that the priority is prayer. And that's something Jesus did, I think, um, uh, you know, I, I suggest that Jesus, you know, I, I was saying he's God in flesh. Why would he even need to pray? Um, we could even debate and talk about that whole thing, but leaving that alone for now, the fact is he did it. I wonder if one of the reasons he did it was to be a model of what it's supposed to look like for you and me. Carving time to get out and just pray and seek the Lord. Jesus did that. Um, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to be praying? Um, now here in verse one, we also see a couple other things. Interesting, after Jesus was praying, the disciple, one of them comes up and says, oh, Jesus, teach us to pray. Notice that the disciple didn't ask, teach us how to pray. Um, that's a hang up for people. You know, well, how am I supposed to pray? Well, it's all easy, talk to God, the end. That's how you pray, talk to God. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but but... Often it's not how to pray that's the problem, it's just doing it. Teach us to pray. And then we learn something else uh, about this, um, by the way. Uh, you know, um, by the way, do you ever wonder why we don't pray? I mean, here we have this tool that God has given you and me to talk to the God of the universe and um, pray. We're given this by God. Why don't we use it? I think one reason is unbelief. We just don't believe we're really talking to God. We don't think it's gonna work. We don't think he's listening. Even if he is real, then he's probably not listening to little old me. Um, he's got too many more important people to worry about. Uh, like when the Pope prays, maybe. Uh, maybe God listens to the Pope. Uh, maybe God listens to Pastor Brett because he's so good looking. Um, no, you don't, you don't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, why wouldn't God listen to your prayers? This is where I like to remind you and, and remind myself sometimes that God is not spread thin. Do you understand that? Did you hear last week we reached 8 billion people finally? We crossed the 8 billion number mark on the world. 8 billion people. Um, 
Now that should make some of you nervous. If you're old like me, some of you remember when there was only 2 billion people on the earth, like in our lifetime. It's amazing how uh, we're exponentially, the population is booming, which is by the way, one of the signs of the end. The Bible tells us that. Um, but uh, you might think, well, there's 8 billion people on the planet and surely God cares more about those people than me, just little old me, why would I pray? But we have to remember God's um, infinite character and nature. Um, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient, um, which means all-knowing. Uh, you know, he's omnipotent, all-powerful. Um, we have to understand the infinite nature of God. And so because of his infinite nature and his omnipresence, which means he's able to fill every place in time and space, that's God. He's not lacking for time or attention. So when you seek the Lord's attention and you pray, how much of the Lord's attention does he give to you? 100%. Well, Brett, how can he give 100% of his attention to me plus 100% of his attention to the Pope? Um, I'll tell you how, because he's infinite. I like to remind you, if you take an infinite number and, and you divide that number, infinity, by let's just say 8 billion. If you go 8 billion, uh, you, know, one, uh, you know, infinity divided by 8 billion, you math people, what's the quotient for that? Infinity. You can't divide infinity because it just, it's just infinity. So you divide it by 8 billion, it's just still infinity. So that's God. When he looks at you, he's not going, oh, hold on, Brett. I, I've got some more important people to talk to over here. I don't have enough time for you. No, because he's infinite. He can give me his undivided attention because that's who God is. And I love that about our Lord. But some people think, oh, he doesn't have time for little old me. That's unbelief. We just don't believe the Lord hears prayer. Now, for most people here at church, um, that might not be the problem. Maybe you say, no, I believe, I believe in prayer. But maybe you are hit with that, that whole thing where you start to pray and you kind of start feeling guilty. Your halo is just a little crooked, if you know what I mean. You start praying, oh, Lord, I just take this time. I know I haven't prayed for a long time. In fact, I haven't prayed for, whoo, it's been a long time. In fact, I'm really guilty that I haven't been praying. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really, in fact, I'm a really horrible sinner. Anyway, bye, Lord. It's like, that, that's where you get. You get to that part where you feel guilty and you know, uh, you're like you're lacking and you're a sinner and you say, man, I, I don't know if I even feel worthy to talk to the Lord. Well, good news. Um, well, the bad news is you're not worthy to talk to the Lord. But there is good news. The Lord says, I want you to enter in boldly by a new and living way. How do we get to approach God? Is it based on your halo being squared away? No, the reason you get to go to heaven uh, and be saved is by the grace of Jesus Christ. But it's the same reason you get to pray to the Lord, by the grace of Jesus Christ. Speaking of Abraham Lincoln, uh, during the Civil War, a soldier who was wounded and was uh, in the you know, uh, military hospital for a while, he, he just got released and he was gonna have to head back into battle. But on, uh, on that day, he, he only had a few hours. He, he really wanted to spend just a few hours and go say hello to his mother and then go into battle. So he happened to be right there where Abraham Lincoln, you know, the house, and uh, he thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ask the president to have extra time to visit my mother. But he went up to the house and two soldiers were guarding the gate there and said, you can't pass here. And the, the soldier was so sad. He knew he was going right into battle, probably to be killed. But he sat on a park bench nearby and just kind of sobbed and was sad. And a little kid walked up and tugged on his shirt and said, mister, why are you, why are you crying? He said, oh, I wanted to go see the president of the United States and try to get a, just a, a day pardon to go see my, my mother before I go into battle. And the little boy said, follow me. And he grabbed him by the coat and dragged him. This, this man was following this little boy. Going, What's going on? And, and they were walking up to the two guards at the gate. And as soon as they walked up, the guards stood by and opened the gate and let him through. And, and the soldier was blown away and he marched right up to the house there and right up to where the president of the, in the, the office where the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln was sitting. And he said, there he is, talk to him. And the soldier looked at the little boy and, uh, and Abraham Lincoln looked at the little boy and said, thanks Thad, that was his little son, Thad. Um, you see, the reason the guy just blew right in there is because he knew the son, the son was there. That's how you and I get to the, not the president of the United States, we get to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because we know the Son. Jesus is your access to God. And because we are with Jesus, God warmly accepts your prayers and hears your prayers. And thus it's really a priority. 
don't make too big of a thing out of prayer. Sometimes I think we make prayer so big that we aren't very successful in doing it at all. Well, I think I'll carve out some time and I'll pray for an hour and um, get my candles lit and my closet cleaned out so I can kind of have a quiet closet time like Jesus said to pray. And, and, I, and you get everything, you're thinking I'm gonna get it all ready and stuff. And, but it's such a big deal, you, you never actually do it. It's a bummer. Um, you know, what we need to do, well, Brad, I don't know how to pray in King James English. Some of you don't pray because you feel like you're worried about not knowing the right thing to say. Um, some of you in this room, if I were to say, in just a minute, I'm gonna divide us up into groups of five, four or five, and we'll get into little circles, and I want each of you to lead us out, lead your little group out in prayer. Now, right, right about now, some of you are like, praise the Lord, that's great, we should do that. But the other half of you, a little bead of sweat would start rolling down your forehead. You'd be like, pray? Publicly? You want me to say a prayer with a bunch of holy Christian people today at church? Um, and see, you're the person I want to address right now. Did you know that those prayers of a brand new Christian or a person who doesn't know Christianese, I think those are some of the best prayers I've ever heard as a pastor. Uh, and I would suggest that God would say, I love those prayers too. I, I wonder, you know, we all speak this Christian King James English, you know, when, uh, when we're praying, oh Lord, thou didst sustaineth all thingseth. Thou dost hold the universe in the palm of your handeth. Like we, we think that God hears us because we speak King Jameseth. God doesn't speak King James, hello. King James spoke King James English in 1611. That was in the language of the people at that time. It's not God's language. Um, and not only that, I want you to remember if you're new to prayer and you're afraid of praying the wrong thing, uh, and you hear Christians pray, and, and I'll admit, we Christians, we know some of the Bible stuff, so we pray Bible stuff. And some of you guys are like, man, it's so weird. Lord, I just pray for a hedge of protection. And you're like, a hedge? Why are you praying for a hedge? Uh, like, is Satan afraid of bushes? Why don't you pray for a concrete wall? Because uh, you don't speak Christianese because the hedge is what the Bible talks about it. And that's a King James word for actually a wall. Um, it's an interesting thing how we think we have to pray a certain way. Some of the sweetest prayers I've heard are brand new people who don't know right things to pray, but it comes from their heart. You know, um, the Lord loves us as children. We are his children. When my daughter who was singing up here with me today, I love singing with Brooke and Joey too. But I remember uh, Brooke, when she was first a little baby, one of the first words that came out of her mouth was the word mingy, M-I-N-G-Y, mingy. Now you say, Brett, that's not a word. Oh, it sure was. When she would sit in her little high chair, little, little baby, and she'd get her hands like this and say, mingy. Now, um, now, as a dad, this is something you boys need to understand. You're, the mother knows baby ease before you do. There's something in a mom, she just gets it. Like Debbie would say, oh, she wants her mingy. And I'm like, what? What's her mingy? Oh, it's her sippy cup. You know, her little water sippy cup. That's what it is. It was a sippy cup. And she just called it a mingy for some reason. Mingy. And, and I'd go, now, what would you think of me as a father if I said, incorrect? You little idiot. Don't you have a brain? I am not going to listen to you because you don't know what a sippy cup is, you're calling it a mingy. Now, if I said that, you'd say, what a loser father you are. But in truth, what happened was Debbie and I giggled and we thought, oh, that's so precious. And I don't even say the word precious. That's not a man word. But I said it. Oh, that's so precious. Mingy. In fact, in her little baby book, it's written with her little picture of her baby sippy cup there, mingy, quote, unquote, mingy. Deb and I thought that was precious uh, because we knew what she meant and she wasn't really at that level of knowing that it was a sippy cup yet. And when she turned about 24 years old, she started calling it, no, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just, she got it earlier than that. But now, now um, I, I use that word precious. Um, what kind of thoughts does the Lord have for you? Anybody? Precious thoughts. The Bible tells us that. He has thoughts that are precious for you that are more numerous than there are sand grains on the sea. That's what the Bible says. 
In fact, it says that his thoughts are precious. He has thoughts of peace and not of evil towards you. So you can pray, and even if you're not theologically perfect, even if you don't know the Bible forward and backward and have scripture all memorized, your prayers are still totally legitimate and the Lord knows how to interpret baby ease, Christian baby ease. If you're, if you're worried about it, you know, I've been praying with people and praying for a lot of years. I've been a Christian for, you know, 52 years. And one of the things I've, I've noticed is I've never really seen Christians criticizing one another's prayers, really. I'm sure it happens somewhere, but I've not seen it. And, and some of you, that's your biggest fear. If I have to pray in a group, I might say something stupid. I'm afraid what I might say. Nobody, nobody's criticizing you, especially the Lord. As long as you're just praying from your heart and talking to God, there's, it's so simple just to let your request be made known to the Lord. Just ask the Lord of what you have need of. Now there's some things about prayer that the Lord teaches us very early, like not demand things of the Lord. It's funny how some Christians demand, I, I tell you God, this is what I want, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. That's, that's, that's some Christians, that's not the right way. But to pray humbly and say, Lord, not my will, but your will. Those are things we should learn to pray, submitted prayers to the Lord. But you know, I think the simplest of the prayers are some of the deepest and most powerful. Don't let your prayer life stop because you don't know correct prayer lingo. I think that's one reason why people don't pray. Um, now, this is another thing we learn in verse one. I know we're all still only in verse one, but we also learn that John the Baptist, as it turns out, was a prayer person. I didn't really know that about John. You know, when I grew up coloring the picture, I knew he was a wild man with wild hair and he wore camel skins, ate wild honey. He probably had honey running down his beard. If you guys didn't have big beards, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to do the honey thing with beards and mustache. There he's got wild honey and a, and a locust leg twitching between his, between his teeth because he, he ate wild locusts. You know, that's John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like this is John the Baptist. But as it turns out, the disciples of Jesus said, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray just like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray? What a shocker. Like that was the standard to the disciples. They saw Jesus praying all the time. They said, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray the same way John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray? What a, an amazing thing to say. As it turns out, John the Baptist was a prayer guy and he taught his disciples to be a prayer person. John the Baptist was called by Jesus the greatest man ever born among women. He, as it turns out, was a prayer warrior. In fact, I would suggest that some of the greatest men and women of faith throughout all of Christian history, you show me a great man or woman of faith in history, I'll show you a person that spent time on their knees before God in prayer. It's always the case. So number one, the priority of prayer. Number two, we have then a pattern for prayer given to us in verse two by Jesus himself. Verse two. And Jesus said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I know what some of you are thinking, where's the rest of it? Why is only part of it? Well, you gotta understand, um, Jesus prayed a similar prayer two years earlier. Uh, we read about that one, of course, it was the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was teaching um, how not to pray and then how to pray. Remember all the religious guys were praying to be seen by men. Oh, look at our holy prayers. And, and they were just, if you remember, I did a whole sermon on playing at praying. These guys were acting like spiritual prayer warriors, but they were just nincompoops to be seen of men. And then Jesus taught them and said, listen, the, when you pray, he said, pray like this. And there in Matthew chapter six, he prayed similar to this, not word for word, as you'll note, a little different. But, it, and then he says, you know, deliver us from evil. And then it just ends here. Jesus ended it right there. But if you know the rest of it in Matthew, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen. Why did he leave that part out? Why was that left unsaid? I don't know for sure. Other than I do think it's interesting. There's maybe some evidence of what Jesus is doing here. First of all, he simplified the prayer from Matthew chapter six. It's shorter and sweeter. 
Uh, 58 words in all right here are the, this, this version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you were raised a Catholic, you said the Lord's Prayer at church. We do that sometimes here at AC, we'll say the Lord's Prayer. Um, but you know, most of the times you'll notice the Protestants will use more of the Matthew chapter six version. The Catholics will pray the shorter version, like not exactly Luke, but um, the shorter version without the, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Um, some Catholics, depending on what tradition you're raised in, you'll say the first part of the Lord's Prayer, and then you'll just end, you know, uh, deliver us from evil, the end. And then the, the priest says some stuff that is linked to that Lord's Prayer. And then you're supposed to later on come in and say, for thine is the kingdom and the power of the Lord. Maybe you're raised in that one. But you say, but which one are we supposed to say? Well, let me just ask you, should we say the Lord's Prayer just like uh, um, re repeating word for word the Lord's Prayer? Well, the answer is yes and no. But you're just wishy-washy. <laughs> no, I'm gonna say yes. I think praying the Lord's Prayer word for word is really sweet um, and it's a good thing to do. Um, but here's what I would suggest as the problem. Jesus told us not to pray with vain repetition. That's the words he used. And one of the things, if we're not careful, the, the, the people that are very liturgical and come from a church that was a kind of a liturgical background and we just say, our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we just kind of go through the motions and the ritual. That's not helping anything. It might even be making matters worse. I think we could even be using the Lord's name in vain by doing it that way. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And we really don't mean anything by that. I think that's actually an abomination. So if, if you're just doing it by rote memory, thinking it's checking some religious box, you might want to stop doing that. Better to not say that than to... Uh, than to just say it with some dutiful, heart, heartless prayer. So I'm not arguing not to say the Lord's Prayer, but be real careful with it. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't make that prayer uh, every Sunday as a ritual. I do like praying it together though as a congregation. It's fun to pray that in uh, unanimous. But when we do it here, I hope we do it infrequent enough to where when we do it, it comes from our hearts and we think, oh, powerful, wonderful prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So yes and no, be careful with that one. But I wonder if Jesus is also giving us license to understand it doesn't have to be word for word because the times it's written in the gospel narratives, it's written differently each time. In other words, Jesus didn't even stick for the, could Jesus have said the same exact words every single time? He could have, but he didn't. I wonder if he's giving us sort of a reminder, you don't have to be locked into word for word. I'll show you how that looks here in a minute. But, um, but all that, it starts with our Father. We, we did, like I said, an in-depth study on the Lord's Prayer. I'm not gonna do that today. We did that there in Matthew 6. And I think I called that sermon uh, Playing at Praying because there were people play-acting um, prayers and Jesus said, that's wrong and here's the right way. Uh, and so we did a whole thing on the, the uh, prayer of the, the Lord there. Now, um, now, this idea of uh, the simplicity, it's almost like Jesus said, I'm gonna even simplify it. Two years later, he simplifies the Lord's Prayer, makes it shorter, 58 words. I wonder if um, one thing that you might need to remember, and I, me too, is keeping your prayers simple. Somehow we think we have to speak eloquently or fancy words, but just keeping it simple. In fact, the Lord's Prayer itself is simple when you really think about it. I know the King James makes it, hallowed be thy name, but it's really just saying, your name is holy. That's what the word hallowed means. Holy is your name. And thy kingdom come. That means the second coming of Christ. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like this is a very simple, simple prayer. Even a, a young child can pray the Lord's prayer by and large and understand what they're asking and praying. So yes, the Lord's prayer is a model. It's a pattern for prayer. But we'll talk more about how to apply that in a second. So number one, we have the priority established of prayer. Number two, the pattern Jesus gives in the Lord's prayer there, the pattern for prayer. And now number three, he's gonna teach us persistence in prayer. And he's gonna use a literary uh, rhetorical technique um, to convince us the idea of persistence. But Jesus is gonna use a, a rhetorical technique that we don't really use anymore as much in, in uh, speaking or, or examples, but Jesus does a lot in his ministry. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I want you to see if you can spot it as we read it. Let's take a look, verse five. It says, and Jesus said unto them, of course, this is after he gave them the pattern for prayer. Jesus said to them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, friend, 
lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within, inside his house, shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. This gets a little confusing in the King James language, but I like King James. It slows us down and say, huh, what's this saying? What this is saying is this dude goes over, he wants food at midnight and he knocks on the door. Now, now the average size home in, in, um, in Israel at that time in the first century was 12 feet by 12 feet. Not a big place. Um, one third of the house was a little deck where your family, you'd all sleep on this little raised platform. Um, your kids, your wife, your family, you'd all sleep there. And the other part, you'd prepare food. But then at nighttime, oftentimes you'd let, on a cold evening, you'd let your chickens and your donkey uh, and your goats and stuff in, in the house for warmth. So there you are. When the sun goes down and it gets dark, people will go to bed in those days. So there he was asleep. And, and suddenly at midnight, the neighbor comes. <coughs> now, do you, can you think of what a nuisance this would be? You're all sleeping. Uh, even the animals are all sleeping. All of a sudden, <coughs> at midnight, all of a sudden. <coughs> you're like, oh, you woke the chickens. We just got them to sleep. Uh, and the kids start wrestling. You're like, knock it off, go away. My door is shut. It's midnight, go away. But the door knocker continues. <coughs> Oh, I need bread, I got this visit. See, it's kind of hard for us to even picture this, but like, let's say your mother-in-law's coming, landing at PDX at six o'clock and you promised you'd take her out to dinner so she didn't eat anything and you're gonna take her out to dinner once she landed at PDX, but her plane was delayed and she ends up landing at midnight on Christmas morn uh, uh, and, and, and you go pick her up and all the restaurants, everything closed now because it's Christmas morn uh, after midnight. And you promised you'd buy her something to eat. Problem is everything's closed and she's hungry. And you drive her home. So you go to your next door neighbor at midnight. Hey, do you have any food? I don't have any food. I promised my, you're in a dilemma. That's the dilemma sort of of this person. And because of the, you know, in those days, if you were a, a person who had a guest at your house and you didn't serve them food, that was like the biggest insult uh, in those days. It was very serious. So he's like, I gotta get some bread. I'm gonna go to the neighbor. That's the situation. But the idea is because, and the word, the word that King James uses here is importunity. I think the, what does the NIV say? Boldness, because of the boldness. Uh, some say persistence, some say shamelessness, uh, different translations. But the idea is the persistence and boldness of the person to keep knocking until they got the bread. And, and the point is, this is kind of a ridiculous, that's a ridiculous story, but that's the point. This is the rhetorical device that Jesus is using. And he's gonna use it many times in the narrative of the gospels. What's the, um, the device? We might say Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater, from the ridiculous to the incredible. Um, what, what's your point? It's almost like this. Jesus said, if your wacko neighbor who's a grouch gives you bread at midnight, how much more will God who never sleeps? How much more will God who loves you dearly give you bread when you ask? When you knock on the door, the Lord's gonna answer the door and he's gonna give you that which you have need of. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's gonna do it again here in just the next few verses, a whole nother time. Um, he does this all the time. Remember in Luke chapter 18, he does the same thing from the lesser to the greater. He argues, remember the woman who had a legal matter and she was totally frustrated and she went to the unjust judge. He's an unjust judge, kind of like the judges today. Some of them. And the judge is a grouch. And the poor lady, I need you to hear me. He's like, get out of my face. I don't want to hear you, lady. But she just keeps bugging him, bugging him and bugging him. Finally, the judge, oh, brother, okay, come and tell me your problem. Okay, I'll give you what you need, whatever. Just go away. And remember that? Luke chapter 18. And then Jesus says, that's the unjust judge. How much more will the judge who's loving and kind and perfect and powerful care for your need compared to that? See, it's arguing from the ridiculous to the greater or to the amazing. That's what Jesus is doing here. So this is what we're supposed to get. You're supposed to go, oh, it's such an amazing thing that we can knock on the door. By the way, I'm reminded that Jesus also does it the other way. He knocks on the door of your heart. 
Remember in Revelation chapter three, verse 20? Everybody talks about that evangelistically, like talking to the unsaved person. Behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Um, and if any man will open the door, I will come into him and, he with, and sup with him. Sup? What's up? Uh, to have dinner. Uh, and, and they think, oh, well, you'll get saved then. Well, I can understand people applying that that way, but that's actually not the context. Does anybody know, who is Jesus talking to in Revelation 3.20? The church. He says, behold, I stand at the door of the church and the Christian and knock. And if any Christian will open the door, he'll come in and, and dine with you. And, and, um, and dining in, in Bible times, there was a, a unity that would happen and a oneness. When you ate of the same meal, you're becoming one, united. And that's what it is to dine with Christ. And, and what a beautiful picture. So this idea of knocking and Jesus you know, coming in or, or us knocking and him opening the door, this is stuff that we read all throughout the Bible. So, um, so this is an important thing to understand that prayer is something we get to do that sort of knocks on the door of the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm not the grouchy neighbor. I'm the loving God who's just quick and ready to open the door. Now, the reason I hang out on this door thing is it's gonna come into play in the next verse here in a second. But one of the things I, I want you to realize too is um, sometimes we don't really um, hear from the Lord right away. And, and sometimes the Lord says yes, sometimes the Lord says no to our prayers. Um, but one of the things I wanna remind you of before we go on in this, prayer is not to get your thing. One of the things we have to realize is get it out of our minds. Oh, what is prayer? It's asking God for stuff and he gives it to you. Um, but that's not exactly what prayer is. Prayer is, you might call it more aligning yourself with God, getting yourself right and synced up with the Lord. Um, that he would give you, you know how the scriptures say, delight of the Lord there in Psalm, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You're like, I desire a Lamborghini. <laughs> Lord, you're gonna give it. You promised, you said it, Lord, if I desire that, you'll give it to me. I'm not sure that's really what the Psalms is saying. The Psalms saying, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you desires the desires of your heart. I need my desires to change. Um, and, and some of those things that I desire, I don't get. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it'll be open. You read it from Matthew 7. I sure did. But see, one of the things we have to understand is knocking and asking is, is really us saying, Lord, we want, we want to be in line with you and your heart. It's okay to ask. You have not because you ask not, the Bible says. But also to submit you see, what I've learned as an old Christian, been around for a while praying, most of the things I ask for, I have to really be careful to say, Lord, but not my will. Because I've realized I've asked for some stupid things over the years. Have you ever asked the Lord for stupid stuff? When I was in high school, I, I, I met this girl. Lord, she's the one. I want to marry her. Lord, would you please help this to work out? And, and I was so determined. Yes, Lord, this is the one. Uh, but guess what? I'm so thankful the Lord didn't answer that, answer that for me. Because, you know, people change. Um, and I'm really glad. And not only that, the one that the Lord really did have for me, Debbie, was the right one. Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's wife, she, she tells the whole story. that She had five different guys she was sure was the one. And she prayed, Lord, help me to marry him. And the Lord kept saying, no, 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 no. And then finally, Billy came along. And then the Lord, you know, obviously she married Billy Graham. And, but she tells the story for years. She told about how, how glad she is that the Lord, the Lord didn't answer those prayers because she was really happy to be married to Billy. In the same way, some of the things you ask for when you're young, you realize when you're old, oh Lord, thank you for not doing that. See, it's not about your prayers moving the hand of God to do what you want. It's your prayers are to change your heart to be in line with what God wants for you because he knows what's best for you. Um, the Lamborghini may not be the best thing for you. Uh, probably not. Unless you have a Lamborghini. Man, God bless you. That's great. Lucky you. <laughs> um, but, but all that to say, prayer is not as much to move the hand of God as it is to change the heart of man. That's, that's what's going on here. So we, we, we keep reading though on this. Um, notice it says here, um, um, uh, well, let's, let's go on. So we go from the persistence in prayer, and then finally, number four, the promises for prayer. Um, and, and we read that there in verse nine through 13. Uh, Jesus continues, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find. 
knock and it shall be opened unto you. Remember Matthew 7? We read that earlier. This is Jesus saying the exact same thing, only this time it's got the context of knocking on the grouchy neighbor's door. And now we realize, oh, this is where Jesus is saying, yeah, our, the one who answers the door for us, he's a good natured God who wants to be kind. He's not the grouchy neighbor. So knock. And then verse 10, for everyone that asks receives, he that seeketh will find. To him that knocketh, it shall be open. If a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will for a fish, you give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Brett, that's ridiculous. Is, is Jesus doing it again? He's doing that rhetorical technique, going from the ridiculous to make a point of the beauty and the wonder of God. It's ridiculous. You fathers are evil, uh, and yet you know how to give a good gift to your kids. If he asks for bread, you don't give him a rock, or you, know, um, you don't give him a snake, or if he wants an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. That's ridiculous. And now we have the context of this verse people oft quote, verse 13. It says, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Oh, this is huge. This is powerful and important. Um, the, 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 you know, going from the lesser to the greater, from the ridiculous to the beautiful. The ridiculous is you and I are evil people. We're just sinful, wacko people. And the Lord says, even you, wacko, sinful people, know how to be nice to your kids, give them good gifts. And we say, okay, yeah, I guess that's right. But how much more then is the heavenly father gonna give the Holy Spirit, it says here, to them that ask him? Well, Pastor Brett, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with it? Can I just say everything? The Holy Spirit has everything to do with prayer that is the power that's behind prayer. Oh, how poor the church has become in so many circles because we've ruled out the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, prayer and the power of the Spirit goes hand in hand. What a thing we lack. We lack because we don't pray but we also lack because we don't look forward to and trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. By the way, on this, um, when, he, when he repeats this from Matthew 7, 7, he repeats it, but both in this case and in the original text of Matthew 7, the, um, you have to understand when Jesus says, you know, ask, uh, seek, and knock, it's in the active, active present tense. That is, it could almost better read, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. It's a continual thing. That's something that we need, need to remind. And that's where we get this persistence. Remember the neighbor that knocked on the door and even though the guy's grouchy, go away, we're sleeping. And he just keeps knocking. That's the implication. We're supposed to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You might be uh, you know, a single woman saying, I really like to be married. Well, have you kept asking? Well, I asked once, but I don't wanna appear desperate. Yeah, but keep asking. You don't have to say, I want a man, I want a man. You don't have to do it like that. You can say, Lord, if it's your will that I marry, help me to find that right person and, and just keep asking. And it's okay to keep asking. The Lord says, do it, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Now, by the way, there are times in life where the Lord might tell you to stop praying for something. Have any, have any of you ever had the Lord tell you to stop praying for something? I have when the Lord just realized, he, he, he revealed that my heart was wrong in wanting whatever I was asking for and I didn't stop asking for it. Um, does anybody remember a Bible character that that happened to, anybody? Jeremiah, yes. Jeremiah was praying for the children of Israel. The Lord said, stop praying for the children of Israel, they're doomed. That was kind of an interesting thing the Lord said to Jeremiah. Who else? Paul the apostle. That's probably the most famous one, by the way. Paul had an infirmity of the flesh, some kind of sickness, disease, we don't know but it was an infirmity, so it was a health issue. He called it his thorn in his flesh. And Paul the apostles, I have prayed three times for the thorn that's in my flesh. And then the Lord said, Paul, I need you to stop praying for that. You're gonna deal with that thorn in the flesh. What an irony. Here's Paul the apostle healing people all the time. He'd walk by people and they just healed because he walked by them. Some people touched his garments and they'd immediately be healed of deadly diseases and stuff. Like that's the power of healing of the spirit that was you know, flowing through Paul. But he himself had a thorn in the flesh 
And the Lord said, yeah, you're gonna deal with that thorn in the flesh. Um, that's ironic, which actually means the Lord had a purpose that Paul had to have that infirmity of the flesh. And he said, you're gonna have to deal with that. And Paul was willing to say, okay, I'm gonna deal with it since you told me to stop praying for it. So there are times in life where the Lord might convict your heart and say, yeah, stop praying for that. That's not, that's not what I'm gonna do. But until that happens, persistence in prayer is important. And then after persisting, then you have um, the promises that come. Uh, ask and it'll be you know, given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. What a beautiful promise that comes from prayer. Um, now, um, now, why does the Lord move from seemingly the topic of prayer to asking for the Holy Spirit? And the answer I think is because any prayer that's powerful is gonna be linked to the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest things I think you and I can ask of God in prayer for is for fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the things to understand the way the Holy Spirit works and why the church is divided on this, there's good churches. Man, I love my Baptist brothers because they have solid doctrine and theology. I love my Pentecostal brothers because they have vibrance and, and joy and celebration and the power of the Spirit. But um, sometimes my, my Baptist brothers can be just a little bit on the chosen frozen side. And sometimes my Pentecostal friends can be a little bit flopping around in the aisles and doing a bunch of wacko stuff. Charismaniacs. Well, Brett, are, are you guys a charismatic church? We're a charismatic church. I like to call us charismatics with a safety belt. <laughs> and why are we that? Because the safety belt is the Bible. So we don't flop around in the aisles because the Bible says nothing of that. That's just people acting weird. The Bible doesn't talk about slaying in the spirit and having services where we're walking around slaying each other in the spirit. Now I know some of you probably grew up in churches like that. Oh no, bread, it's real. I have no doubt people can fall down <laughs> and, and be theatrical and caught up in the motion and all that stuff. It's just nowhere in the Bible. We've got enough to do that's in the Bible. Uh, we don't have to make up new stuff. Um, and, and, but here's the problem. Sometimes my Baptist brothers, see a lot of those guys, they're called cessationists. And the reason why is they say, well, the fire of the tongues and the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that was something that was only for them at that time in the early church. church. But that has ceased. That's why they're called cessationists. And they make a doctrinal you know, uh, position of why we don't speak in tongues today and why we don't have the Holy Spirit. And the bummer is, I think we, we tend to quench the Holy Spirit's working in the church with that sort of thing. By the way, some of my Baptist friends are lightening up on that topic. Even Baptist colleges and universities are starting to, it's kind of interesting, open up to the, the power of the Holy Spirit again and the manifestations of the Spirit. It's kind of cool. Um, but, but our charismatic friends, they've taken it to where it's so crazy, people don't want anything to do with it. So which one's right? The Bible's right. But here's what I wanna remind you of. The, the three prepositions are the key when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Prepositions? Yes, in, with, in, and upon. Those are the three prepositions you should know. Uh, let me remind you real quick. Before you were even saved, when you were a flaming atheist, and you said, God does not exist. In the heart of heart, you remember? When you were unsaved and yet the Holy Spirit was in you, just tapping the shoulder saying, nope, you're wrong. God does exist. You need to repent from your sins. You're a sinner and you're doomed and you need to be saved. And you knew that to be true. How did that happen? No, I was an atheist. And the Lord would just, by his spirit, he was with you saying, nope, you need to be saved. And you're like, la, 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 la. I don't wanna hear that. I'm not, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. No, you don't. I don't. You know, like, remember that debate? That was the Holy Spirit with you. Now, here's the dangerous part of the with on the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter six says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Did you know there's a point where the spirit will withdraw himself from you if you're hard enough? If you resist long enough? Remember in Romans chapter one, the Lord says, and I gave them over to their lusts and their perversions and their sin. There's a point where God will do that. Remember the psalmist David said, oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. There's a point where the spirit, you know, you're just gonna be a hardcore atheist. And even though in your heart, you hear that little whiff of the Holy Spirit saying, I'm, I'm here and I'm talking to you. Go away, I don't wanna listen to you anymore. But you're acknowledging God's existence right there but there's a point where the Lord will leave you. That's sad. I hope none of you have reached that point. Probably not because you're here for some reason or you're watching online. That's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. The second relationship is in. 
And that happens when you become a Christian. Do you remember in John 14, 17, Jesus, you know, he said, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, capital S, um, who the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you, but he shall be in you. That's what Jesus said when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He is with you, but he shall be in you. And he's talking to all the, the, the people that were following him. After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, now we have the church age at that point. What's one of the first things Jesus did when he rose from the grave? Well, if you recall, it's John chapter 20. After dying and resurrecting, he goes into the upper room where the disciples were shaking in their sandals, freaking out because they were gonna think they're gonna be killed. So they're all huddling up there in that upper room, freaking out, and Jesus appears to them. And then he says to them, if you remember, it says he breathed on them. And he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 14. The Holy Spirit's with you, but he shall be in you. And I believe, do you think if Jesus said to you and breathed on you and said, receive the Holy Ghost, do you think you'd receive the Holy Ghost? Yeah, you can be pretty certain of that if it's Jesus doing it. So the disciples now have the Holy Spirit in them. Just like Jesus said, he is with you, he shall be in you. Check that box. Check those two boxes, with and in. But that's where our Baptist friends, that's it. Okay, they got the Holy Spirit in there. Now that's it. No, do you remember what the, the Jesus told the, the, um, the disciples to do after that? Now I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to go there and wait for what? The Holy Spirit, but, but what's the preposition? The upon. Uh, it's Acts chapter eight, verse one, uh, where Jesus said, but you shall receive power. Greek word dunamis. Dynamite is the word we make out of that. Boom. You'll receive power, um, and he says, and you shall be witnesses uh, unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, Brett, so the disciples, the Holy Spirit was with them. Then he was in them, John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Um, and that's where the, in chapter two of Acts, the Holy Spirit came and they spoke with tongues and, and did the miracles and stuff like that. Yeah. And again, that's where uh, some of the, you know, cessationists would say that doesn't happen to That was just for them at that time. Here's the problem with that. Paul, the apostle, decades later, um, spent a lot of time talking in First uh, Corinthians 14 about how tongues were to be used in church in orderliness, not to just have a bunch of people speaking in tongues, but, you know, uh, just a few at a time. And if tongues were spoken, there should be an interpretation. Like Paul put a bunch of rules around some of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit decades after the apostles were early in the early church. And not only that, this Acts 1.8, it says that wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you because you're gonna be witnesses. Now this is where it goes way past the early church, both to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What's the uttermost? Well, it goes out to the guttermost, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you see, Christians, Athe Creekers, you and I desperately need the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Why? Because we, we need to be witnesses in the uttermost parts of the earth. To this very day, there's a desperate need for spirit-filled Christians who are on fire for Jesus. Not acting weird, not being wacko and flopping around. That doesn't do anything for the witness. In fact, it does maybe more the opposite. But for the power to be witnesses, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, dunamis, that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. How we need that so much and, and have the Holy Spirit manifesting through the words we speak with a word of prophecy. In New Testament, that's not speaking the future. A word of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, the first few verses, is a word of exhortation and edification and comfort. Oh, how we need that today. Spirit-filled Christians speaking those words. Uh, just all those 1 Corinthians 12 manifestations of the Holy Spirit, we need those things desperately. Oh, God forbid, Athe Creek's are the chosen frozen. We need to be spirit-filled Christians on fire for Jesus Christ. And your prayers are linked to this because Jesus said, oh, you want, you want a prayer life? Let me teach you this. You fathers are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your kids. If you're willing to ask of me, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, um, the power of the Spirit, just, just for the asking. You don't have to gyrate. You don't have to flop around. You don't have to have the brothers and sisters come around. Now just start speaking in tongues. You know, that's, not, that's just people making stuff up. The power of the Spirit can manifest itself in any number of ways in your life. 
Um, but it's one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is it's all very supernaturally natural. We Christians try to make it more theatrical and I think it does a disservice to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, do you ever sense the power of the Spirit here at Athey Creek? I sure do. I, I'm so thankful. The day the Holy Spirit leaves this church is the day you and I should leave this church. If you come to church and you don't sense the power of the Spirit in a place, then we're missing out. And you say, well, I don't see people swinging from the chandeliers or flopping in the aisle. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, the Spirit reveals itself in powerful ways that are very supernaturally natural. Isn't it interesting the Bible uses the dove as the symbol for the Holy Spirit? Go to some churches, you think it's the chicken. <laughs> like, ah, acting weird and had chickens with their heads cut off. Woo, running around. There's Instagram posts you can see of people running around and it's crazy. Um, or a screeching eagle. Ha, 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 ha. It's like, welcome to our church. You're like, uh, no, thanks. No, it's a dove. What does a dove do? I don't know. That's about it right there. It's a dove. That's the Holy Spirit. I love the calmness, the peace that comes from a dove. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's gentle. Um, but people make it something into a screeching eagle or a headless chicken. Watch out for that. I want to encourage you uh, to be people of prayer. Jesus made a huge exclamation here in Luke chapter 11. Pray and ask for the power of the Spirit so that you have prayers that are powerful prayers. Because by yourself, there's nothing there. But if you're a person of prayer asking for the Spirit to come upon you, the Lord says, I'll do that and I'll make your prayers mean something and be powerful. It's something you and I get to be a part of is prayer. I have an assignment for you this week. Um, I know things are busy as Christmas gets near and people are starting to get buzzy. And, but can I just say, can I just say this? Three things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to pray for someone you don't like. Somebody who irritates you, your enemy, whoever that is, the person at school that stuffs you in the locker, the boss at work that's a jerk all the time. Um, who is your greatest enemy? And I want you to commit to praying at least once a day for that person. I want, I want to show, the reason I, I want to have you do that as job one is because I've never seen the power of prayer more effective in my own life than when I pray for people I don't like. It's amazing how the Lord will change your heart and uh, even give you a compassion for the person you don't like. Um, it's really something. Uh, and I want you to see the power of prayer. That's a big one. So do that. That's just number one. Number two, I want you to find 30 minutes out of your schedule. And that's not asking a lot. 30 minutes. Brett, what am I going to say for 30 whole minutes? Uh, you're a pastor. You, can, you know how to pray Christianese. Um, regret, regret, regretfully, I do. But um, you know what? Uh, I love, there's, there's, let me give you a hint. If, you're, if you don't know what to pray for 30 minutes, pray through Luke chapter 11, verses two through four, the Lord's prayer. Brett, I can pray that in 20 seconds. No, pray through it in meaning. So like do this, our father. Okay, Lord, you are my father. I, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you're my father. And, and maybe I didn't have a great father in this life and, and was raised without a father maybe or whatever, but I'm so thankful you're my father and, and that your Bible tells us that we're adopted sons and daughters. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. Okay, our father who art in heaven. Oh man, I can't wait to go to heaven. Lord, someday when we get to heaven, I'm gonna bow before your throne and I'm gonna worship before your throne and I can't wait to see you. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, that's holy. Okay, so holy is your name. You lack nothing. You're, you're altogether perfect, Lord. Thank you for being a God that's perfect. Thy kingdom come. Now, some of you are saying, Brett, you can say that stuff because you've been reading the Bible and you know all this stuff. Okay, I'll give that to you a little bit. But here, let me help you out. Let's move forward to forgive us our sins. You got a week now. You can pray for a whole week. <laughs> forgive us our sins. Lord, when I, there's a lot of prayer right there. You can spend a half hour, go by like lightning because forgive us our sins. And then also forgive us those who've sinned against us. Forgive us our sins and as we forgive our debtors. Uh, and pray, pray for the Lord to help you not be bitter against the people that you're unforgiving toward. A half hour will speed by if you, if you apply your brain. So one half hour this coming week, that's number two. Finally, number three, um, I want you to practice what 1 Thessalonians chapter five speaks of, pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. The word ceasing in the Greek is the same word they use for a nagging cough. Have you ever had a cold where you're just all day? 
Like that's what, that's what it means. Just pray, just coughing up little prayers all day long. How does that look, Brad? Do I have to drop to my knees and fold my hands in the middle of the hall at school? Lord, thou didst sustain all things. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You can pray with your eyes open as you're walking. Here's what, here's what that looks like. You get up out of bed in the morning, Lord, bless this day. Then you jump in the shower. Lord, as you're you know, washing up and stuff, Lord, help me to be pure today and not get into dirty, gross stuff. And then you brush your tooth. Lord, um, help me to you know, smile and be joyful today. Uh, and then you walk through the, through the door at school. As you're going in your door at school, say, Lord, help me to be a light here in this school. Ah, this dark place, so much junk's going on here. Um, just help me to be a shining light. As you're walking with your eyes open, just mutter a little prayer to the Lord between you and God and just pray like that all day long. Practice praying without ceasing. If you do those three things or even a little bit of that, I guarantee it's gonna change your life radically. Prayer is powerful. Oh, make sure and pray in those prayers. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and the Lord will do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, just a good reminder for us. Thank you for your word, the constant reminders that we so desperately need. May we be a praying church. Forgive us for not tapping into such a, what a great privilege we have to talk with you, Lord. And I pray that we would be sincere and not just rote memory or ritualistic about it but I pray it would be relational where we would spend time all day talking to you. Um, Lord, thanks for just the, um, the day here and chance to worship and be with your people. And now as we go, fill us with joy. Go before us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.